Um, okay. Is that thunder? Yeah. Thor got angry. He did. Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program, faster than an airplane, more powerful than a locomotive, impervious to bullets. Hello and welcome to The Thought Bubble, a podcast about comics and comics-adjacent culture. I'm Joanna Robinson. And I'm Dave Gonzalez. If you're just joining us for the first time, we're here to answer your questions about all things comics. Dave here is our so-called expert, and I'm your friendly neighborhood novice. But this podcast is meant for comics lovers of all levels. If Dave wants to go in-depth or spoilery about a particular answer, he'll do so in our advanced section that comes at the end of each episode with ample warning. So don't worry. If you have a question for us, please shoot us an email at bubbleyourthoughts at gmail.com. You can find all of our old episodes at fightinginthewarroom.com slash comics. It's Tuesday, so May 12th. Ado, this is the, with the Avengers Age of Ultron special episode that you have been waiting so long for. We also have a special little segment probably at the end of this episode where Dave will talk about Secret Wars and Battle Earth. Is that what it is? Battle World. You Battle really World. <laughs> Got almost there. Uh, yeah, but before we get there, we're just going to talk about Avengers Age, Age of Ultron for a very long time, responding to a lot of the criticism or uh, whatever. Anyway, sorry, I'm gonna, I'm not going to set this up. It's, I'm a just gigantic, it's a gigantic summer comic book movie. It it's, is a huge, huge one. movie. It's the, you know, just behind its predecessor in terms of the box office records, so... This is something we want to talk about before we all we want to talk about is Mad Max Fury Road or whatever. Um, so the first thing I want to do is just to give Dave free reign to do us a public service, which is to talk about the, I believe, five future Marvel movies mm. that were set up in this Marvel movie and how the movie went about it. So first, let's start with Thor Ragnarok. Dave, how did Avengers Age, Age of Ultron set up Thor Ragnarok? Well, most directly, Heimdall says they're in hell, and because it's not written out, it might have missed common viewers. That's H-E-L, one of the realms that will play in very specifically uh, to Ragnarok. And then I think that the cutscene with Loki also uh, involved Tom Hiddleston. There was a cutscene with Loki, Tom Hiddleston uh, also involved a bit more touching base with the fact that he might be on the throne, which is where we left him. Uh, but very specifically, Thor now knows uh, that the Infinity uh, Gems and Thanos are coming, and uh, he's going to do his best to stop it. But um, I'm not sure exactly how much he knew of how his realm uh, was in trouble. Uh, that sort of got lost in the edit. So here... Thor is going to kind of deal with greater threats, but they didn't hit Ragnarok as much on the nose as I was expecting them to. Yeah, so we know from um, an interview that Joss Whedon gave on the Empire podcast that the original cave scene was, and the cave scene was something that was Marvel mandated, and that the original cave scene was much longer. Um, and had, I should say, I never said this at the top of the episode, so I'm going to say it right now, belatedly, spoiler alert, right? We're going to talk about everything that happens in Avengers Age of Ultron. If you haven't seen it yet, where have you been? Okay, so back to the movie. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people didn't respond very well to the cave digression, and I don't know if it would have been better in its unedited form as Joss Whedon initially had it. 
Uh, we saw some scenes in the trailer that never made it into the film of these women who are the Norn, who are these... Uh, do you want to give me the definition of Norn, Dave? Oh, I was just looking off of a quote. Let me see if I could uh, they're find like, it again here. They're, they're like the Fates, right? They're like the Norse version of the Fates, or or at least the comic book Norse version. Where right. So he would go into the pool, and the Norns would possess him, and right. Selvig would get all the answers. And because Selvig was the one that sort of worked with uh, the, the Tesseract and got possessed by the Mind Gem, uh, he would be the person that you would want... Uh, speaking for the audience, asking questions about these Infinity Gems. Right, and so that would have clarified things, right? If we had had an interlock... Uh, I'm not going to bother trying to master that word right now. Someone to speak with Thor as he as he channeled this prophecy, a, a proxy for the audience to be like, what does that mean? What does this mean? And instead we just got, you know, oh, thank you, Joss. We got Chris Hemsworth shirtless and wet, but like we didn't get a lot of information. The things that we missed out on are in that Loki cut scene, I believe... Or, you know, it was never filmed mm-hmm. in the first place, right? Well, uh, so we're talking about two different things. No, now. no, 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 no. I know, I know. I'm just going to say quickly that I believe Joss Whedon's vision for that Loki thing that was cut that it was not to do with the pool necessarily was Loki uh, or Tom Hiddleston doing an Anthony Hopkins impersonation, right? And what we missed in this cave scene, cut as it was, was apparently Chris Hemsworth throwing himself into channeling these other voices. And so that he just sort of went all out for it um, and apparently didn't test well. So they cut it down into what I believe was incomprehensible garbage. Uh, Dave? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's two different things. One was, I think, going to set up Ragnarok, which would be the, the Loki thing. And then the other, the pool is set up. Infinity War, right? Um, and yeah, it's weird now because it's a whole bunch of flashing. But like, I'm not sure. As a comic book reader, I'm used to that. Uh, we just got through a long run of Jonathan Hickman trying to tell me certain things were important. Uh, that was sometimes <laughs> successful and sometimes not successful. So I mean, it, it didn't work. But I'm also uh, apologist. For the first Amazing Spider-Man having, like, one of its entire plot lines excised from it, and so parts of it don't work. But, you know, <laughs> you could still enjoy the parts that are still there. Is that the yarn wall stuff? Um, there's some yarn Like, wall basically st- why, why Campbell Scott was cast and all of that, right? Well, and then uh, there was a family cast for Dr. Connors that we never saw. Uh, oh, wow. The Indian scientist guy just runs off into the night when initially he was supposed to confront Connors in the sewer and get to the magical blood much sooner than the second movie. The magical blood was supposed to be the whole through line. So the first poster for Amazing Spider-Man, the tagline was The Untold Story, and they stopped using that as soon as they realized they were going to cut that out of the movie. But it was all shot, and you could sort of piece it together from a different like stills and deleted scenes that have been put out there. But yeah, the same thing happened to Amazing Spider-Man 2, where... As the movie's happening, they're trying to decide what the movie is. Uh, the nice thing about Avengers Age of Ultron is it sounds like at one point there was like an over three hour long cut, which means that could all eventually be restored in the future times. Um, but, yeah, and the, yeah. and the, sorry. No, I, playing as a blockbuster, it's basically a comic book movie where it can't stand on its own because of that, but it doesn't annoy me because I am, I'm used to 
expecting gaps not to be gaps but to be avenues to something else at this point yeah and i mean i think that initially when we talked about doing this podcast i think we thought it was sort of going to be us clashing mano a mano um but because my take was more negative on the film than yours Mm -hmm. but actually i think we agree on most things it's just you want something different from this movie than i do do you know so like i think our interpretations of what works and what doesn't uh, is similar and we can get, we'll get to all of that. But I think it bothers you less because you want comic book beats set up. And as you know about me, I'm like such a character dialogue person. And that's why I love Joss Whedon. And that's a lot of that was, uh, excised to make room for all this setup that we're going over right now. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing that I want to talk about is, um, well, I just want to say before we move on to the other two movies that were set up <laughs> is that um, I just feel like the cave scene didn't even accomplish what, you know, the bare bones of what Marvel wanted to accomplish, which is set up Infinity War. Because what does, it, you know, anyone who knows anything about comic books already knows is coming, right? Or, or is following this in any depth, knows that the, um, you know, Infinity War is coming, know that Thanos is coming, this has been set up. The flashes that Thor had did not really help inform that in any way. And if you aren't following that and you don't know that that's coming, the flashes that Thor had don't inform anything for you at all. Right? Uh, yes. The, Other the, than to like give an excuse as to why Thor flies off later. Right? I'm, Maybe. I mean, I'm convinced it's there because we know behind the scenes Joss Whedon has been shuffling around when he uses Thanos and uh, whatnot. So, like, I'm pretty sure that, like, that if he wanted to use it and if he wanted to set something up, he would have found a way to do it that was about, you know, the greater theme of monsters and consequences. Uh, just like, And character and brothers and... That's why it's like knowing that it's not like uh, there, this scene was always going to end in nothingness, uh, knowing that there is a cut <laughs> out there that could possibly explain something makes me feel a little bit better. It's just the way it was excised doesn't leave any of that backbone. It's more like a you know, star in a comic book that's like, check this out this August in spinoff number six, which is a comic book trope enough that it doesn't bother me. But cinematically, it's like just being hobbled by your editor. Yeah. And I mean, I because in any other movie, I'd be mad at like the studio for this. But like, it's weird that I'm in this point now where these properties are so big. I know I'm going to see this. I know I'm going to see those scenes eventually. Oh, I know. And but that, yeah. And I agree. I will. I will watch. The th- no way should Joss Whedon be allowed to make a three and a half hour movie and have it released in the theaters. But at the same time, I will watch that when it when I am able to on my uh, you know television at home. Yeah. I will watch Joss Whedon's three and a half hour Avengers: Age of Ultron, and then I will bitch about how it was so much better in Marvel Studios Evil. All right, uh, which they're not. Okay, so moving on. Um, Black Panther. How was the Black Panther film set up in Avengers Age of Ultron? Uh, we got our first Wakanda name drop. Uh, it's been Easter eggs in Iron Man 2. He was a dot on a map. Um, but we have that. And then we have Andy Serkis's, uh claw, who will eventually attach some sort of sonic blaster to his uh, severed hand and oh. become a Black Panther villain, I think. Here's the thing, is that it, it sounds like through some Joss Whedon interviews that 
like he's just packing this movie full of references to like different heroes. He wanted to blow up the Avengers world in a big way. So it's very possible that Claw was in this movie before there was going to be a Black Panther movie, and this is actually Joss Whedon's subtle lobbying for there to be a Black Panther movie. So I'm not sure if Claw, having Claw in this movie means that Claw is going to be our villain in the Black Panther. I think they'd be stupid to not have Andy Serkis be the main right. villain. But that doesn't necessarily lock it down because we don't know what his status quo, quo is after Civil War. That's so interesting. And in the comic books, right, his arm gets severed by, what, Black Panther's father? Or some, someone else, someone who's not someone, Ultron, obviously. Right. And then they're also, Marvel's doing this whole, someone gets their hand cut off in every phase through two right. movies. Right. The so Empire Strikes to, Back joke. They had to cap it somehow in That's Age great. of Ultron. So they're just <laughs> too bad. We've got Claw. All right. Uh, okay. And then, I mean, I think we all figure this one out, but... Uh, Captain America Civil War. Um, How was that set up in Avengers Age of Ultron? <laughs> Tony and uh, Steve kind of don't get along, which is going to be their core dynamic anyway. So once again, I'm not sure how uh, locked into Civil War they were. Um, up until it was announced that it was called Captain America Civil War, they had been working under it under the name Fallen Sun, which is how we got our idea of how Captain America Civil War might end for Captain America. And mm. it also made sense because it was a trilogy capper. So I guess if you're going to call, you know, have a clandestine name for anything. But assuming that they do know exactly where they're going, uh, Captain America has a team of new Avengers and Iron Man is sort of there, but not uh, indicating that he could not be on the Avengers at the beginning of the next movie. What we know now is that Civil War is going to start with the Avengers sort of already... Uh, working together and doing missions, and they will have done missions in between the two movies. So that's going to be Cap's new team. I don't think it's going to involve Iron Man necessarily. He's going to be more concerned with his vision, um, which uh, end, ended in space uh, where he let everybody down, and that's still going to be You mean his vision with class. a lowercase v, not the vision with an uppercase v? <laughs> He's going to be concerned about both. <laughs> okay. um, this gets into like super speculation but uh in civil war the comics uh doctor strange is so powerful he just kind of like sits the whole thing out he meditates throughout the whole conflict to stay out of both sides vision seems like he's so powerful after this movie that having him on either side in civil war uh would be a bad idea so i think he's gonna take the strange place and we'll get uh iron man being like hey i'm your father uh you should come join my side and we'll get Scarlet Witch hopefully being like, hey, I love you. Come join my side. But I don't think he's actually going to be fighting anybody. Okay. So, um, yeah. And, and uh, almost everyone and their brother is in uh, Civil War. And mm-hmm. so, un- unfortunately, I mean, we'll get to this a little more later, but unfortunately it looks like it's going to be another just very stuffed movie in terms of characters like this film was. Yes. It's still uh, not... It's before the climax. Oh, you know what? It's basically Avengers 2.5, right? Well, I mean, that's what everybody's been saying. But then also the Suicide Squad released that cast photo. And I'm like, no way are all those people having the, like, running around as a team. Like, five of those people are cameos or something. So I would expect a lot of that from Civil War. Like, you're going to want, like, a team shot at some point. 
you're going to have some people. That's why I'm like, why are they dancing around? Charlie Cox is obviously going to be in this because why wouldn't you have him, you know, show up if you need two team shots and you have this like Spider-Man cameo. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm I sorry. Think, you're, you're saying right now that Charlie Cox is obviously going to be in civil war. I mean, I think that they should announce it because they should put him into it because you just want to put as many recognizable heroes on either side. I think very soon there's going to be an inciting incident that uh, drops this down to a Captain America story almost exclusively. Okay. Um, to avoid you getting too spoilery there, we're going to move on to the things that could have set up other movies that weren't in this movie. Yes. Um, the first thing is, well, really quickly, we can just say Spider-Man and Captain Marvel. Um, that Joss said in that in that Empire podcast that he wanted to have them show up in that final Avengers Assemble shot in the, I don't know, warehouse or whatever they're calling the new location, new headquarters. Um, and that just uh, negotiations weren't done yet or casting wasn't done. Negotiations weren't done. So that couldn't happen. Well, yeah. One for... It- I think just way too early for Spider-Man and Captain Marvel. It was just too early for them to be introduced, I think, into the world. Do you think that would have been effective, though, like to not have the characters in the in the film at all and just have them pop up in that final scene? Um, would that have been effective? No, I don't think so. I, no, think I don't we, think so either. We actually ended up doing something better which was only have that happen with one character and it's vision and he pops up and he just is. And I think that's as much as they can get away with it. Um, otherwise like save it for another movie, especially if you're going to have that lame post credit scene. <laughs> All right. Um, and so then the next thing is, uh, this is a big one. Hey, Dave Gonzalez. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't Hulk go to space? Like you said he was going to. Oh, you know, they don't know what to do with Hulk, and apparently they can't make a solo movie because Universal has some sort of rights strangled. Oh, it, oh, really? Okay, I didn't know that's what it was. Oh, yeah, Mark Ruffalo alluded into it in an interview that uh, Universal has some sort of stake in what would be a solo Hulk movie, so I assumed that, you know, that wasn't the case, and they were just waiting to see where they could use Hulk. Um, there was definitely uh, versions where he went into space, though. Uh, there's remnants of it. Uh, that he, there's nowhere uh, safe for me on this planet. Uh, he Joss looked- says, well, Joss said that like he was never, he wanted to imply that it was space, but he was never going to actually go to space in the movie. Right. That he was going to like look up and see stars rather than blue sky. And so then, you know, the Dave Gonzalez is in the audience would be like, oh, my God, Hulk's going to space. But like we wouldn't see Hulk like launched into space at any point. Right. Right. But the the alteration was made at the end with Natasha and Nick Fury, where he walks up to her and in a shot where we see nobody's face, just an iPad. They're like, oh, he ditched his plane towards this tropical island. He probably is still around. Like right. it's that that was supposed to be uh, we can't find the Hulk anywhere on this planet or some such thing. And right. you're supposed to be like, oh, but yeah, it never happened. Hulk in space. All yeah. Right. And then like really that 
they just need a placeholder place for the Hulk. Whether or not they were ever going to do a Planet Hulk movie, I have no idea how long it went back. But they were going to shoot Hulk into space to keep us hanging there, but also because you can't have Hulk involved in any of what's to come, no matter what people you cast from his past movies. Yeah, I mean, and we can just say that, that, that William Hurt is in Captain America Civil War, which is a really interesting thing because we had all kind of, and by we, I, I don't know, I mean me, had all kind of assumed that Marvel was trying to forget about all the other uh, Hulk movies, even though, like, technically, the Edward Norton Hulk film is in the continuity of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And now they're making that for really real by casting William Hurt, right? Right. Um, I mean, we know that it was there uh, to be, I mean, that it was part of the universe to begin with. But this is, I think, a very convenient way of getting around whatever deal Universal has, which it probably had on its core stars. um, And that excludes William Hurt. And you also have a really nice person to talk to the Black Widow about what happens when little girls fall in love with the Hulk. All right, so since you just referred to Black Widow as a little girl who falls in love with a Hulk, we are going to move straight along to the, what I like to call the Black Widow controversy. Oh, yes, I should have called her a monster, right? (laughs) A a monster incapable of having children, and of course that's what makes her a monster. (laughs) Right. So, okay. So in case you've been living under a rock like Black Widows do... um, then maybe you missed a very vocal section of the internet getting quite upset at the betrayal of Black Widow in Avengers Age of Ultron, specifically the scene where she talks to the Hulk, or Bruce Banner, I should say, in a bedroom on Hawkeye's farm about how (laughs) she was... (laughs) That's a great sentence. Uh, How she was sterilized as part of her training when she went through... um, what is, the, is it? Is it called the Black Widow program? What is it called? Do we know? No one's called it the Black Widow program yet okay. in both Agent Carter where we saw it and here where we saw it. Okay. Um, but we'll call it that. Julie, Julie Delpy's school for women who will grow up to kill people uh, and do ballet. Uh, so anyway, she, as part of her graduation ceremony, she was sterilized. She tells the Hulk that this makes her feel monstrous. And a lot of people extrapolated this to mean that either Joss Whedon or Marvel or whomever is making the point that women who can't have children are monsters. And this is not my reading at all, though, I, you know, I've talked to a couple people who've maybe gone through uh, experiences of infertility, so who are quite sensitive to it, and I appreciate that sensitivity that I do not share, so I can appreciate that that might be an interpretation people have. My chosen interpretation, given what I know about how Joss Whedon views women, uh, is that what Black Widow is actually saying in this scene is that the fact that her body was violated uh, is what makes her feel like a monster. The fact that she's a trained assassin who who went through a program so intense that they altered her body in order to make her into the killing machine she is, is what makes her feel like a monster. Um, Dave, was that close to your interpretation? Yeah, I mean, it's the same thing they do with, like, you know, humanizing Frankenstein, except their fire bad works, and here they sledgehammer at home with infertility. But in terms of story mechanics, I don't think it went much beyond that, and it would have been weird if that's what they were saying. 
because who really cares if the Hulk can procreate if we're doing that one to one, you know, monster to monster thing? Like that's never that's never been an issue, and that wasn't really an issue in the film. It was more about how they're capable of relating to one another and what they expect from one another. Right. And one of the their both of their choices have been taken away from them, which makes them similar. Right. And as um. I'm sorry to keep, you know, you guys should probably just go listen to this Empire podcast that I keep referencing. But um, as Josh said in that, uh, this is another scene that he was forced to make huge cuts on. So maybe in the three and a half hour version, we're going to see a more nuanced conversation between Bruce Banner and Natasha Romanoff about what makes them feel like dysfunctional human beings. Um, but my the larger point, I think, stands that because Scarlett Johansson's character is basically, I mean, with apologies to Elizabeth Olsen, who's just kind of getting started in this franchise, and Maria Hill, who's largely useless, you know, Scarlett Johansson's character has shoulders much of the burden of female representation in the film. And so uh, I'm trying to find this great um, essay by Sadie Doyle. I don't agree with everything she wrote. She wrote it on Medium. It's about um, Ultron and her love of the original Avengers, but how Ultron let her down. But the point that she makes is that a lot of the characters in this film are forced into more t- 2D roles than we're used to seeing from uh, Joss Whedon because of Marvel trying to cram in as much, you know, advertising for their upcoming movies as possible. And I agree with that. And I agree that it looks, you know, worse on Black Widow because she's the only female so she carries the burden of representing all females in this movie. And that's not fair. Um, but again, Marvel has its share of the blame for that. Right. So. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a symptom of a larger problem, but I don't think it is the problem that a lot of people saw in it. And, uh, I think the movie does a pretty, pretty good job with, with what it has. That doesn't mean we should ask for it to strive to do better, but I almost, I mean, I don't want to really kick dirt on the other other big house here, but I guarantee you we're going to be more pissed about something with Wonder Woman, just like right out the bat. With oh, her well, um, I'm already pissed about Harley Quinn, so, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, just, I don't think that Joss is your, is your, to use a bad word, I guess, monster here. Like, I, I, I think you're looking for something that's not there when you're saying that Black Widow, uh, you know, that, that, just hates women who can't have babies or something like that or thinks they're defective in some way. I, I don't, I just don't think that's true. Um, but that being said, you know, there are some other criticisms of, of her role in the film, like that she's there to prop up the guys and, you know, to a certain extent that's true. And I would like to see her in her own movie where she's trailed around by Captain America trying to set her up on dates with people. You know, like, like I loved, I just recently rewatched Winter Soldier and Iron Man 3, and I really, really love their relationship in Winter Soldier. I think it's great. And, um, I think... Yeah, I hope just, we get more of that yeah, and coming, I think you going forward. Just as easily, just slightly tweak those roles where she's the lead and he's a sidekick in a Black Widow movie, and it would work beautifully. So, um, and of course, none of that was helped by the whole Jeremy Renner chris evans bullshit that you know that just set a bad tone for the whole thing so you know that's my take Uh, on the black widow controversy actors are just like your neighbors sometimes they're assholes (laughs) 
That's just that's how it works. Um, so the the essay I'm referencing is now over. It's been republished over on Wired.com. It's called "Age of Ultron is Proof Marvel is Killing the Popcorn Movie." I do not agree with everything she's written, but she has some very interesting things to say. Especially love her take on the Hulk in the original Avengers. It's a great section, so you should check out that essay. Um, all right, we're going to talk about the villain problem next. Uh, or, or I'm calling it the villain problem. <laughs> the villain problem. Uh, Dave, what do you think of Ultron as a villain? He's fine. Uh, he's James Spader in an Ultron suit, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll put up with that. But, like, in terms of he's, his villainy isn't in the movie. Like, he does things, yeah. and we're told he does things, but that's not there. And that his most exciting things are done when he's, like, a... Uh, blue ball of non-consciousness and then right at the end when he's just a a maniacal robot yeah i would say that um yeah i i I would just say that i think spader who's a great performer is kind of wasted in a lot of what ultron does that his thread through the movie is not clear and consistent and that makes him just one of the actually weaker villains i'd say uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, you know, Robert Redford, Loki, um, who's the villain? And oh, Guy Pierce, like these are these are villains. I understand their motivation and I understand their their arc, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and with Ultron, I think he's kind of all over the map and you know, as people have pointed out, it was a real good op real good. Uh it was a very good opportunity for them to show I don't know, Tony coming to terms with his shadow self and, you know, James Bader being a bit more of uh, like sort of a nega, a nega Tony, a nega Iron Man sort of thing. And, uh, and I think they whiffed that in a big way. So, yeah, I think they didn't drive home that his ultimate plan was to get into Vision's body and do something that he never gets to do. And that at the end, he decides to crash a city into a planet. Like yeah. his, he was always going to do something to kill humanity, but like the beauty of whatever plan he had was never revealed to us. So when he improvises, it feels like that was always his plan. Right. But I'm pretty sure narratively there's enough lines planted in there that he was going to get inside this indestructible infinity stone body and save all of humanity by killing the Avengers. Yeah, I think there are narrative things in the movie that point to him having a grander plan that we don't get to see, and it suffers because we don't get to hear him talk about that. And when Joss Whedon was talking about the Ultron role, he mentioned, like, many monologues. And this time he gets, like, three. So you got to wonder if there was more something about making a child or consequences or something thematic about why you'd want to create vision that just ultimately doesn't serve the climax of Sokova being raised into the air. And I have to say that um, the whole vision thing, as much as I loved, you know, Paul Bettany and that moment and, and sort of visions ensuing badassness, the creation of vision makes no sense to me. In terms of what, you know, uh, okay, it's happening, but he also needs to, like, Thor needs to channel the thunder through his hammer. Like, how, what is Thor's motivation when he gets there? You know, it's just, it's, it's really muddy there for me. So, yeah. 
I mean, that was a moment of joy for me because as somebody, as we discussed earlier, is kind of like ready not to care if you give me a reason not to care. I was like ready to slap all those characters in the face. Tony's like, I'll just do this again. That's the way out. And I'm like, oh, Tony Stark. Yeah. And you're going to take us through this plot line again and this argument again. And Thor shows up and he's like, nope. And here's the guy that's going to solve the movie for you. And right. it kind of worked just because we were running out of time. Uh, but I don't know. I, I took great joy in the movie giving me a way out of having to care about uh, creating sentient AI. And I really liked uh, what Joss said about um, that him being able to lift the hammer was just such great shorthand for, all right, this guy is crazy powerful. He is worthy to be on our team. You know, it's it's not just like that he's powerful. The whole millionaire thing is about worthiness, right? So right. then Steve Rogers knows just by looking at this guy holding a hammer that he is someone they want on their team. And so does the audience. And right. we don't need to stop and be like, what are you? Yeah. What are your are powers? You? What, yeah, what are your intentions? You How could do- phase through things and shoot a laser out of your forehead <laughs> and know, fly. I don't know trust you. Um, all right. So that's the, the villain problem and the vision solution, I guess. Um, well, see, the thing is that uh, this is all leading to one villain problem, where if this, this Thanos doesn't work, then we're all screwed, right? And do you <laughs> like think all- he's working so far? Well, no, but now we've set up our thing that Thanos has to do to make us realize he's a threat, which is pry that stone out of Vision's head. Here's what I would like to see. (laughs) (laughs) In my ideal world, Thanos doesn't look like Thanos. Like, he has to disguise himself as human, so he actually looks like Josh Brolin. I would like that a lot. So instead of, like, a big purple Muppet walking around, we had Josh Brolin walking around. But he could like kill a bunch of people, so we know he's really scary. Or better yet, instead of it, uh, instead of Josh Brolin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's hire I'm Javier. Stick with you. Let's hire Javier Bardem to be Anton Chigurh and just walk around and like kill people. I don't know. I'm just not. I'm not scared of Thanos. I know he's going to kill people, and then I'm going to be scared of Thanos. But he's never not going to look like a Muppet to me. And I don't mean to be derisive of comic book as a genre because I know people looking like Muppets is a grand comic book tradition, but on screen it's not working very well for me. So, Yeah, well, to be fair, it took us three CGI cinematic takes at the Hulk before I got one that I liked, and I didn't even like Avengers that much. Avengers Age of Ultron makes tons of good usage of uh, the new designed Hulk. Okay, so you're saying that like mock... Mach 4 of, of Thanos might might be the winner? Uh, I mean, it's, it's it's the same thing where it's like, I don't like how the Joker looks in Suicide Squad, but you really can't knock it until you see it do something. Like, of photos or weird stills well, we've or seen opening Thanos, a, you know, he, it was sit and open a cabinet. <laughs> and, and turn around for a window, right? Yeah. <sighs> I mean, he, that wasn't a window. He was just looking out. But, I mean, yeah, <laughs> sure. I'm sorry. Turn around from looking out. Uh, he's going he's gonna to be a big, a big purple guy in a gold costume that's going to just, like, slam everybody you thought was powerful around. And, I mean, okay, but that's what... That's what, like, you're kind of describing the climax of Ultron, which didn't work for me. A bunch of people being slammed around that I thought was powerful just doesn't work for me there needs to be 
Okay, so this is going to tie into sort of hope for future Mar- Marvel movies, which is my my final structured topic. Which is, if Ultron didn't work for me, which it didn't in a large part, uh, does that mean the Marvel Cinematic Universe is no longer going to be my jam? And it's possible. Like, maybe it's for people who want something closer to Transformers or whatever it is, wherever they're going. Um, and, and sacrificing character and, and dialogue to get there. <laughs> um, and, and that's fine. Those movies exist for a reason. But are we again going to see the movies that I liked or is the cinematic universe now too crowded and too close to, hey, here are people in costumes you recognize tossing each other around? I think it's basically like Avengers fatigue. Like these are the huge crossover movies. So yeah, Avengers movies are just getting bigger. You're going to have a big purple Thanos slamming people around. That's just the way things are going to be. In between here and there, we're closing out trilogies. And so it looks like Captain America 3 is going to be huge. But like I said, I think that's going to get slimmed down pretty often. Like you want to see how Captain America is affected by these Avengers. And you want to see, you know, Ant-Man's origin. And you want to see Doctor Strange's origin. And you want to see them all come together for these Avengers movies. So the only thing that's going to be exponentially things slamming into things are hopefully these Avengers movies. It just feels weird because Thanos has been around so long that you think he'd have character background at this point, but because he's been this construct of like this Jenga tower of a series, he's the X factor for when he actually has to show up. So you're saying that future films like Captain Marvel or Inhumans or that sort of thing have the potential to be back to, I don't know, I would say like a more sane level of storytelling. Well, like, I think what they're trying to accomplish in Age of Ultron and don't pull off is insane and no one could do it. And, um, you know, if that's if that's the level where they're going to keep things, then I'm worried. But I can see how like an Ant-Man, you know, is not going to be that beholden. I don't know if Ant-Man is going to be good on its own right, but like it's going to be its own moderately satellite thing i know that there's connective tissue but but moderately satellite to what we've already seen so it's a bit of a restart button right and so is so is strange uh there no one's been talking about weaving dr strange in anything outside of maybe iron fist and that's even like we probably can't get benedict cumberbatch for that so strange is going to be like ant-man where it's like sort of a because it's not Edgar Wright's Ant-Man, I don't think it's going to be a complete genre riff, but it's going to be something closer to like how Iron Man 3 is more of a Shane Black film than Iron Man 2 or 1 was a John Favreau film. There's going to be a slight bit more of a touch, uh, strange with horror and Ant-Man with comedy. Um, and obviously Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is going to keep its own tone. So I think, you know, we're going to have some, some good, uh, breaths of fresh air in between giant people slamming each other around in what eventually will be space i guess so like yeah <laughs> good because I, I need a i need that i need a, a refresh i'm not looking forward to thor 3 at all but thor has always been like a failure for me in this um i'm apprehensive about captain america 3 but i am looking forward to these other possibilities like dr strange or uh, down the line in humans or captain marvel yeah i mean i'm also concerned about Captain America Civil War just because it seems super packed full 
But I also think a lot of it is just going to be because they're allowing Ant-Man to be so far away from the continuity that if it bombs, they kind of have to never mention it again, that uh, it's supposed to be our reintroduction to the universe if Ant-Man fails. So this way they could have their Avengers running while their Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is, you know, spinning off. And then by the time... Agent Carter is ready to lead into Agent Carter season two is ready to lead into Captain America Civil War. We'll all sort of be back up and running after jaunting out to San Francisco for absolutely no reason on the timeline. For great uh, reasons, because San Francisco is the best. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I did want to talk about the reliance on, on the TV shows a little bit. Uh, it's, it, you know, it just doesn't work very well for me. And I really wish that they would cut um, S.H.I.E.L.D. loose from the MCU. Because this whole, you know, Nick Fury gets the helicarrier that he ca- it shows up in. He got it from Omega Pro- Theta Protocol? Yeah, like, I, I don't know. It's just, oh, it's just more nonsense. It's sort of dragging S.H.I.E.L.D. down. Um when when I'm like interested in this whole X Men stuff that's happening with Sky and you know all that stuff that's happening over there, like that's more interesting to me. And so then when they get like sucked back into the Avengers universe and and Coulson has to tell Maria Hill to you know assemble the Avengers and all that, it, it just I don't know, it doesn't it doesn't work for me. So I mean, it was fun continuity wise. Uh... Because it gave me well, it gave me a reason to see the movie a second time because of screenings. But like I saw it in chronological order, it was nice. It's like, hey, that's how things happened, and that feels exactly like reading a comic book event to me. But once again, it's catering just to me, and they shouldn't have put it in a plot position where these holes existed for the layperson. I mean, like it's it true. I was, like it did. I was talking to someone who watched it, and they're like, I don't understand Avengers Age of Ultron just starts right in the middle of some of like a heist, basically. And that doesn't really bother me. Like, I don't mind ever starting a movie mid-heist. I'm pro-heist. But, um, you know, the fact that there were some of us who were like, oh, well, obviously they're getting, you know, Loki's scepter, which colson located because of x y and z because we watch agents of shield you know that's just a weird i don't know added layer that we have that a lot of people don't have so i don't know once again talking about this film not being able to stand on its own two feet you know which is is our conclusion we're coming to which is like not a not a good pod movie but a good comic book movie mostly on ambition and partially on execution i don't know that i can meet you there but i (laughs) i liked elizabeth olsen a lot i liked aaron taylor johnson a lot um controversially i like mostly their accents um yeah i don't know yeah Age of Ultron, it, like, it's not a movie that I'm going to be excited to re, I mean, I'll be interested to see the 3.5 hour version, but I'm not excited to rewatch it the way I was really excited to rewatch Guardians, Avengers, uh, Cap 2, and Iron Man 3. Like, I feel like they were on a roll. Um, and, and this is not great, Bob. So. Interesting. I mean, 
I feel much better after Age of Ultron than I did after Thor The Dark World. Well, no, I... And even Captain America 2, because I initially had to warm up to that movie. I love Cap 2, but no, Thor The Dark World is is uh, is nonsense. It's a nonsense film. I hate it, so... Um, all right. What's my next question? Uh, oh, is there anything we didn't talk about in Ultron that you want to talk about that you feel like we glossed mm. over? Uh, let me think. Uh, I like to. Or I feel I should just mention that I've been writing about the fact that uh, Vision is Adam Warlock now. Yeah. Let me wait. Let me throw up a quick, like, fragile spoiler wall, and just say okay. that, that you're going to talk about things that are going to happen in the future. I'm really interested for you to talk about them, but you guys might not want to listen if you don't want to know what's going to happen with the vision and after dave talks about that he is going to talk about some deeply nerdy comic book stuff which is great so you should stick around because he's enhancing your experience so says he but if you are spoiler phobic you should leave now all right well i guess uh here's here's the thing you might want to stick around also if you don't want to read new avengers but you want to pick up where secret wars is and know where dr doom is if that makes sense to you skip forward 60 seconds Right now. <laughs> All right. Avengers 2. Uh, so uh, he Vision has an Infinity Stone uh, placed into his forehead, which is where Adam Warlock, the comic book character, had a soul gem placed in his forehead. Eventually, Thanos kills him and traps him inside the soul gem, and he has to kind of get back out to defeat Thanos for the uh, final Infinity Gauntlet battle, which would place Vision one-to-one just based on where the Infinity Stone is embedded into his body into the Adam Warlock role, especially since that wasn't his cocoon. Guardians of the Galaxy like we thought it was uh, according to James Gunn because it looks like now Thanos is going to need to take Vision's mind gem and that would involve him resurrecting like a lot of our heroes I think uh, like Adam Warlock did in the comics. So they basically did a Game of Thrones-esque substitution on characters for us right. uh, to put it in the Joanna Robinson terms. Uh, hey, I get it. Oh, all right. Uh, <laughs> it's like those books you like. Oh, I do like those books. Um, all right. Well, that's exciting. I'm interested to see Paul Bettany do all those things. All yeah. right. This is where you talk to us about what yeah. we don't have to read because you read it for us. Go so it. um, specifically, it's going to be the New Avengers books in the 30s, specifically New Avengers 33 and I believe Avengers 43 or 44, 43 and 44 maybe. They're the end of the Time Runs Out storyline, which leads directly into Secret Wars. I thought I'd just let you guys know how this all started in the canon um, in case you wanted to have a general idea without reading what it turns out. You kind of needed to read a lot of Jonathan Hickman stuff. So at the end of his you know, Fantastic Four line, Jonathan Hickman was doing a lot of stuff with the character of Doctor Doom. We learned that at some point Doctor Doom and the Molecule Man traveled back in time to see Molecule Man's origins around the time of the first Secret Wars. It turns out Molecule Man is the same across the infinite dimensions and is actually a ticking time bond set by the Beyonders. The Beyonder we saw in the original Secret Wars turns out to be a kid. The new Beyonders are like techno-gray aliens, super powerful beings that have decided to destroy the entire multiverse by taking this Molecule Man, who is the same across all things, and turning him into a 25-year-long uh, like time bomb. 
So Molecule Man realizes what he is uh, because he has a moment of clarity before he goes insane and steps out of time, gets Dr. Doom, brings him back, says, in order to save all the worlds, you need to kill all of the me's across infinite universes. Here's a pocket universe that Beyonders don't know exist. Good luck. And then forces Doom to kill him. Doom spends several years traveling through the multiverse, killing Molecule Men. After he kills the ninth, the incursions start, which is where two universes will collide at Earth, and one has to uh, destroy the other, or they are both destroyed. So, the Avengers, this group called the Black Priests, the White Priests, the Black Priests, um, are all running around trying to stop these incursions while Doom is has started his own religion called the Black Swans, who are just running throughout reality, killing Molecule Men. Uh, towards the end of the New Avengers line, it's revealed that it is Doom when Stephen Strange happens across the mysterious Rabo Malal, which has been Doom killing Molecule Men throughout time. And Doom says he realizes how he can stop the Beyonders because it is too late to kill all the Molecule Men. And he realizes that if he had the power to time travel with the Molecule Man, but uh, the Beyonders have not gone back and stopped that event, they are in fact linear. So he and Stephen Strange and the 616 version of Molecule Man throw what appears to be a black hole into the Beyonder realm, and it backfires, deleting all the universes but 12. Meanwhile, over in an Avengers... Uh, Iron Man is the superior Iron Man, so he's slightly more villainous after the events of Axis. Captain America is old. Uh, they've been sort of at odds. There's a Shirar invasion to try to stop the incursion that will eventually destroy the 616 universe. Tony uses a rogue planet that he phased into Earth to sort of substitute out uh, the Earth from time space and shoot a Dyson Sphere uh, destroying the invasion. Um, meanwhile, Reed Richards is trying to escape all the destroying universes and accidentally causes sort of a cataclysm, meaning only the 616 universe and the rogue planet that Tony phased over the Earth, which ended up being the ultimate universe, survives. We're down to two universes, and that's where Secret Wars starts. Damn. Yeah. I don't so, mean to sound like a jock right now. Yeah. But I didn't understand like 85% of what you said. But I was that's listening. Cool. Oh, no, no. That's okay. I mean, it's mostly for people who I put on the time runs okay. out uh, boat. And that got really confusing to the point where it took me talking to several comic people to figure out what hap- Doom did to the Beyonders uh, that made it reduce universes. But what I think happened is that he did manage to destroy the Beyonders, but there's still like a dozen universes where the Molecule Man exists and the Beyonders don't necessarily have to interfere with him for him to become a bomb. But all of that will be uh, explained once everybody reappears in Battle World, which I think happens uh, if you're listening to this on Wednesday. Today is the first day that we get our first uh, Secret Wars number two, which is going to introduce Battle World, and our first Last Days books, which will introduce what people do as their uh, universe is ending. It's going to be fun. And the last Miss Marvel book before Last Days. If you're not into Secret Wars at all, you got one more dip in the Miss Marvel pool before uh, she goes crazy. But I'm shipping her and Miles Morales now. They're going to be on the new Avengers, man. How old is Miles? Uh, 17? How old is she? Oh, Miss Marvel. Yeah, Miss Marvel, okay, not Miss Captain. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm into that. <laughs> Sorry. Miles Morales, Kamala Khan ship yeah. starts here. Set sails. I'm, I'm on board. Um, yeah, because Carol, Carol Danvers was flirting with 
Peter Parker at some point. And, uh, well, Peter Parker is going to be married when we're done with all this. Miles always, even though, I don't know. Miles always struck me as younger than Peter, even though Peter, I know starts in high school. It's confusing. It's always confusing. uh, Miles did start younger than Peter. Miles started when he was 13, I believe. And Peter was like a 16 year old. Um, But Miles has also been around for a little while. So I think they're going to allow that time to pass realistically. I mean, I've, I'm really hoping on the other side of this, uh, that, you know, Peter and Mary Jane stay married. They still have May as a kid. I want like the way Batman Incorporated did that. I want a Spider-Man Incorporated where you have Spider-Man prime running around, but it's mostly his like family of other spider people that are doing the, the main enforcing. I would, I, I want that to be the direction we come out of battle world in, but we'll see who knows what happens in battle world spider Island. Wow. <laughs> All right. So that this is, is for the comic book readers that were just like, you're just going to talk about the movie all the time. No, I there know. Yeah. Now, how you like us now. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So that's your that's your 50 50. It's not even it wasn't 50 50. That's 75 percent Age of Ultron, 25 percent Dave telling you what the shit is going on in Marvel Comics. Um we did get a request from a reader to or listener to talk more about DC Comics, which is forever our goal. Well, um, and the reason I'm not is because Convergence has shown itself to be an Earth 2-centric thing, and that's just not anywhere close to my realm of expertise. So I want to make sure that it's complete and I know what I'm doing going into it, because it seems very confusing to me now. Um, but DC side... Uh, Scott Snyder's Batman Endgame uh, provided like one of the best Joker stories to ever happen. So I'm this guy's doing a classic Batman run, and it's happening right now. So post convergence, pick it back up or go back and read Endgame because it's amazing. Awesome. Um, and we will be back with more regular, you know, back to our regularly scheduled uh, bickering about comic books and comic book adjacent properties when all the Game of Thrones nonsense is over. But if you're tired of listening to us, uh, you know, we don't really bicker. Whatever it is we do. Um, we're doing that regularly over on Storm of Spoilers, which is a Game of Thrones podcast uh, that is spoilerlicious. Um, and you can catch that on the Fighting the War Room feed or at Storm of Spoilers. Well, I don't know. Dave, you, you, you promote it. What is it? Oh, you could get us at fightinginthewarroom.com slash got spoilers. Got spoilers. And where can they find this podcast, Dave? Batman v Superman Enter the Night.com. <laughs> and also, I think, still on your featured iTunes podcast window. Oh, I know. It's pretty exciting. So if you're a new listener, hello. Um, and Dave, where can people find your work on the internet? Uh, you can find my work at geek.com, latino-review.com, and forbes.com, and all of my podcasts at fightinginthewarroom.com. I'm Joan Robinson. You can find me on vanityfair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at JoeWroteThis. Um, you can listen to me talk about Game of Thrones until the cows come home on A Castle Kings or Storm Spoilers. And we will see you in a couple weeks, probably. All right. Bye.